All right, everybody. Happy Friday. You are listening to Alumless. Thank you for tuning in. Here on the show, we talk about engagement strategies and educational advancement. I'm Ryan Catherwood, the man on the screen. Sharing it with me is Chris Marshall, the founder, CEO, leader extraordinaire of CMAC, Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting. How are we doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Good morning. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. Uh, we are broadcasting live today, Friday, February 17, 2023. Thanks to our listeners that are tuning in. Uh, and we've actually found out that uh, several folks, several teams out there actually host team meetings with alumnus on one side of it. So it's been it's been good to hear how folks in our world are uh, putting alumnus as part of their work, work week. So if you're one of those teams watching us today, uh, we're grateful to have you, and um, thanks for making Alumless part of your work week. Uh, let's see here. Where do we start? We've got a great guest today, Chris. We've got on the show the one and only Todd McCubbin from the Mizzou Alumni Association. We're going to bring Todd out here in just a few minutes. So if you have any questions for Todd or just want to say hello, uh, please be sure to use the comment section in the LinkedIn event. And of course, uh, we'll have a 30-minute bonus segment with Todd available on the podcast edition. But Chris, we had a chance. We were just hanging out yesterday in, in Buffalo. It was uh, it was good to see you. Yeah. And, and people were saying, what is it like in Buffalo in February? And the answer is 55 degrees and mostly sunny. <laughs> it, was a, it wasn't too bad. I, mean, I think we, yeah. when, we were, when we were you know planning to visit Buffalo in February, the thought was snow, ice, and cold. And it wasn't so bad. <laughs> Uh, it was a cold weekend, though. We are both lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fans, and uh, it was an honor to have them in the Super Bowl. Uh, we are uh, sharing the the show today with a Chiefs fan, which we can't hold against them. But what did you think of the game? I, I, I was considering canceling this episode at one point uh, as the game was completing, but it was a fun. Now I'm just teasing. I love Todd. <laughs> he can give us a ribbon when he gets on. Um, but f- first of all, it was a fantastic game. Uh, Chiefs earned that victory. Eagles defense didn't come through. But here's my lingering question. I still want to know whose idea it was to use a brand new form of turf at a Super Bowl game. So there's yeah. a little bit of a bitterness in me about the slippery surf surface that caused some of the reasons um, that uh, the Eagles did not win that game. But I'm going to just move on and say Chiefs well, won. Speaking of the slippery surface, just to sort of one more thought about the Super Bowl is how about Rihanna up on those crazy oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, surfaces that I don't know. I, I thought that that was just ex- pretty extraordinary. I was, at a, I was at a board meeting at another institution the week before, the Friday before the Super Bowl, and people were talking about the game. And she said, well, I'm looking. The woman went around the table, and the woman's, one woman said, I'm really looking forward to the Rihanna concert on Sunday. And I, I love that take on the Super Bowl. <laughs> she wanted to see the concert. I'm looking forward to the game Rihanna concert. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, look, it was uh, it was great to have our team in the Super Bowl and the Chiefs are great. Todd McCubbin's great. We're glad to have him on the show. Uh, we were up in person, of course, at the University of Buffalo, Chris, working with our friend uh, Thomas MacArthur there and the team at UB on strategic planning process. Uh, when you think about what's next for the team at UB in terms of coming together around priorities and goals, you know, what kind of important work is in front of them? And I think more broadly, you know, when we do strategic planning work and kind of thinking about where we are in the project, um, sort of how do you think about the importance of putting together this this document, the strategic yeah. plan together? Uh, just a preview, Thomas will be our guest in, on May 12th, uh, where his document will be ready and done. And we're going to talk about this whole process and how they got to from February to May. 
uh, what we're going to, you know, is the key step here is to get it, I land the plane, right? We have all this great discussion we've been doing. Uh, and now it's time to put the rubber on the road and figure out how to make it work. And that's the next step for Thomas and, and our work, frankly. But um, the, the thing about the University of Buffalo, like many institutions, it's a large, complex, decentralized, major public university where where in Thomas's case, he's got alumni staffs and alumni associations in, you know, 11 different schools and units around the campus. And I think his biggest challenge, our biggest challenge would be to coordinate all that. Because what we, what we have built there is an alumni engagement plan for the university, not for the central program. It's thinking about the entire institution and getting, and they've been involved in this process along the way. They're the volunteer leaders of their boards, the staff that work in each of those units have been involved, but getting it to apply and work at each of the school unit level, as well as the center, is the lift we have between now and May when we'll hear from Thomas about how it went. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's a, really a, been a fantastic project that, just like the University of Missouri, right, a flagship institution right. in the state of New York, large state institution with a complex, decentralized set of really great schools. So Todd's the perfect guy to talk to about this and some other aspects of what we do. So let's let's go ahead and bring the man of the hour out to the screen. Hello, Todd McCubbin. How are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good to see you. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, man. Uh, we are we are thrilled to have you on the show. And, you know, we had the chance to uh, chat a little bit uh, before we had the show today. You shared more that the team at Mizzou had gone through an assessment and was doing some strategic planning work. What impact did that experience have on your work at Mizzou? And, and how are you thinking about the challenges before you when it comes to engaging your alumni? And before you hit in that one, you're welcome to add any final stamping as a Chiefs fan to our lamenting of, <laughs> as Eagles fan. You were off screen you know at the time. so I'll, I'll be careful here. I'll get, you know, because I've been on the other end of that a few times. In fact, my Cardinals rather than the other end of that last, uh, I guess, last fall when the Phillies ended their season, right? So I got to watch oh, myself with that's the Philadelphia true. fans. But great, great season, great game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, that's the guy you want to have on your team. There's no doubt about it. So, uh, And we're, we're lucky here in Columbia. We can split sides, right? We can root for the Chiefs during the football season. I can root for the Cardinals during the baseball season and and kind of hit both areas. And so um, it was a fun, fun Sunday. And uh, Chiefs Kingdom is pretty fired up. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't go your way, but at the end of the day, what a phenomenal game. So, yes, we're we're happy for you. But, you know, <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I get it. I'm not at all, just so you know. <laughs> so tell us about strategic assessment, strategic planning work. You know, how, how are you thinking about things at Mizzou? Yeah. So, boy, I tell you what, we're really going to start off with one that keeps people up, right? Strategic planning. If they're joining us today on a Friday afternoon to or Friday morning to listen to that, we, we got to think who they are, really, what they're doing. But it's a really <laughs> important piece of what we do. There's just no doubt. I know you all are deep into this with a lot of clients. Uh, this was kind of our my fifth iteration through our alumni association since I've been here. And normally we'd kind of done a five year type of look and plan and kind of go through that process and we were a little overbaked. COVID kind of cost us a little time to get into the planning process. But man, what a great time for us to put together the plan that we did. And I say that because there was a lot of things coming at us that made it important for us. Um, you know, first of all, we had kind of a, 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 a leadership change here at the University of Missouri, where we have a traditional president of a system campus chancellor approach that we've had for years and years and years. 
And that changed right in the middle of COVID where we combined those roles. And so we brought in sort of a, we had a leader continue, but it was a different view of the university and how we interact with that. So that was a, a change we had to get used to. We brought in a new vice chancellor for advancement that started right in the middle of COVID. And that's tough. That's a tough thing when almost all your staff's not on campus and you're trying to kind of get things going for a new campaign. You certainly had this, this disruption that COVID caused all of alumni engagement really everywhere in terms of how that looked and feel and how we were able to kind of, you know, feel our way through it and, and change some things. Uh, the new case metrics came out like right before COVID. I remember that's one of the things we took on uh, when everything shut down. We just said, hey, let's really dig into this and figure out what this looks like for us and how we can maybe adjust some of our KPIs on an annual basis to, to match up. So you had all those things coming together and really what it, it provided for us, there's there's a lot of things that strategic plans can, can provide you, focus, um, you know, new events and activities, whatever you may do. For this one, it was really about alignment for us because you had all those things happen. You had a new president or a, a president, a new role, sort of. You had a new vice president, you had board, you had all these things that we learned from COVID. And so we were able to sit down with our group and really kind of get through and, and use some of the information we had to create really, I think, a strong sense of alignment. We're about six months in from passing our, our plan. You know, it's funny, we looked at kind of a three-year window for this plan, um, which is sort of a sprint. I know that sounds crazy maybe in the business world that that's a sprint, but when you're 170 years old like we are for our alumni association here, that is a sprint. And so we're really, uh, you know, working at it pretty hard. I think our team's been more focused than ever. I think our board's been more focused and, and up to date on where we're headed with this. And so uh, alignment is definitely the, the word of the day so far with this plan. That makes sense. And as you, sort of you're thinking about the challenges still before you, alignment, and then of course the idea of modifying different types of programs, right? Things that you'll need to stop doing in order to make room for other things on your that will be coming up on your radar. Can you think of a tough decision that you've had to make when it comes to prioritizing different types of programs or initiatives in light of kind of the the environment changes that have occurred? Absolutely. Uh, certainly having a little bit of a break through the COVID piece provided us an opportunity to really evaluate what we brought back, what we didn't bring back, how that looks uh, from our perspective. You know, we're in a, we're in a Southeastern Conference School. Uh, athletics is a big deal. It's University of Missouri. It always has been. Um, and we used to do a tremendous amount of programming around athletic engagement, if you will, alumni engagement around that. We do much less today than we did before. And that really has nothing to do whether our teams are winning or not. We just have figured out that there are other ways to um, kind of chase the right metrics that we were looking for from a case perspective and how we want to grow. And, and those weren't really ways that we're doing that. Um, we didn't bring some events back. We used to have a tremendous event with alumni parents here on campus every fall around parent weekend with a, a legacy brunch that really was meaningful for a lot of folks. But when we looked at the numbers, it didn't really move the needle from a metrics perspective. And yeah. so that's something that we set back and said, you know, that's if, if it's not doing that, then maybe we need to move on and, and, and put staff resources towards other things. So, so we, we've done some things like that. I know in our, our strategic plan, we also are kind of, we're a strong alumni chapters program here. We've always been strong with that. Uh, we've always looked at the regional approach and how that works and how the universities do it. And so um, we, we probably won't make the complete flip. I've, I've seen this, the episode with Patrick Auerbach, and I know what he went through at USC and how that worked. We've studied that a little bit. But there are some areas that are pretty key to us. Um, right now, we're looking at St. Louis as a big, it's our biggest alumni market. 
And it's probably not fair and never was fair to think that a, a volunteer board in St. Louis could deliver alumni relations strategy and programming to that group. So how do we lean in as a staff and run that maybe more as a hybrid regional approach with uh, some volunteer assistance to really get the engagement we need there? So all those were made based on our metrics and how we looked at the case uh, uh, metrics that came out and how we continue to improve that. That was the alignment we achieved through this process with the strategic plan with our university and our board. That's great thoughts, Todd. And I think you know, one of the most interesting things that alumni pros will be considering into the future when it comes to regional engagement programming is the idea of, is the volunteer board-based model the way to scale experiential engagement across the regions? Or could you actually do a lot more events, as Patrick said, in any one region or any one area like St. Louis, if it's more driven by staff and you don't have to have volunteers scheduling, schedule meetings with those volunteers and, and brainstorming. And if you can just move forward and, and ask for their help in other ways, um, it, it's, it's definitely an interesting thing that folks will be talking more about. But you also shared in our pre-show call that you'd been thinking about the evolution of the alumni career area of engagement and building that area out with content and programming. How do you think about alumni associations and, and their work putting together more career-themed content? Do you think we'll need to cut back more on traditions or chapters or different types of groups uh, in order to, to you know, uh, build more career-themed content? Or do you think it can be layered on top of everything else that we do? Or what, do what are your thoughts on it? So we're getting our feet wet with it for the most part. And what we kind of call that pillar of our strategic plan is Mizzou made careers and impact and, and how that looks and feels and how we're able to recognize that and also program in that space. It's new for us. Uh, we've not really delved into this heavy uh, in the past. It seemed like before a lot of career services pieces where the universities were really based on universities that were kind of in big population areas and had, you know, had some career, you know, bricks and mortar type of services that they may offer in that space. And that's just not what Mizzou is in terms of how we, um, you know, how we look and feel. However, COVID changed that. There's a lot of ways to deliver content and programming from that perspective. This is something that's come up through uh, some recent, uh, obviously, alumni assessments and surveys we have. And so we want to lean into it. And so we're really focused in the professional development space. I don't think alumni are really looking at us to help them, you know, get a job, but they certainly rely on us from a professional development perspective or expect that from us, that there are going to be some resources that they can um, uh, take advantage of. Uh, we're trying to link that, obviously, with our career services here on campuses and what their goals and outcomes are and how we can build upon that. I think they really track our alums through maybe that first year out. And then that's kind of where it ends. And so how do we build on top of that pedestal that they built from a career services perspective? So we're doing a lot of pre-work right now, looking at what this Mizzou model for professional development, career services in the alumni space will look like. And I think that the programming side is a balance, right? I think you're going to have to figure out how do we make room for this versus what we've had in the past. That'll sort of work its way out. Fortunately, through the COVID decisions we made, we have a little room to bring on uh, some, some areas here uh, that I think could fill in some gaps. And also from a staffing perspective, we intentionally held back a staff position that we didn't hire during COVID, which was another tough decision, um, just because we wanted to see how the strategic plan worked out. And we knew we were going to have some investment, particularly in the career space. So uh, we're excited about it, but it is new for us here at, the, uh, here at Mizzou. 
It's exciting when you're ever forging ahead and along new paths, right? And I, I'm someone who's always been personally really interested in that, that particular content area. Uh, Chris, as you sort of think about some of the things that Todd has said, and, and as you, you know, we work with partners all the time about starting and stopping programs, making decisions, tough ones sometimes, right? Yeah. Around yeah. what needs to happen next with limited resources. There's not a lot of alumni teams that are getting more resources. Some folks had the foresight to maybe put some to the side in order to, you know, deploy them in the future, like, like Todd was just sharing. But yeah. what do you think alumni teams ought to be doing and thinking about starting and stopping program ideas? Yeah, we part of most of our strategic planning work that we do, we, we run a start, stop, continue exercise. What are we not doing that we should start? What are we doing that we should stop? And what are we doing that we should continue doing? And it often leads to a, we should continue it, but we need to make some changes to it list as well. And when you do that exercise, you'll find a very long list under the start heading, <laughs> a long list under continue or modify, and like four things show up on the stop. And all of them are controversial because somebody on the staff owns that thing, or there's a volunteer who's passionate about that thing. And it, it's hard. I mean, it, it, it's a really hard thing. But what I'm seeing end up on that list more frequently now are, are really hard conversations. What Patrick went through and what you're talking about now are regional chapter-driven programming versus staff-driven programming, especially, you mentioned it yourself, St. Louis, for that's your sweet spot, right? And depending on where your concentrations of alumni are, I think a staff-driven regional strategy is essential that's complemented by a volunteer-supported structure. And then outside those large regions, having volunteer-driven programming is fine. I mean, you got to keep that flame stoked, uh, whatever you can, but in key areas you have to do. So you're, I'm seeing more people making that, Patrick, and, and we're Todd, where you're heading. Another one you, you referenced uh, sort of around athletics, but tailgates, you know, all the away games, planning a tailgate, every single away game, planning a tailgate, for every single home game. Um, Todd, you know, that JT Forbes at Indiana a long time ago said, we're not doing it. We're just not going to do them anymore. And because they, they do one or two a year and they get the same number of engagement because the same people come to all the tailgates. That's what they were seeing. So, but at the end for me, and I'm so glad you said it, Todd, is that they're using the data to make the decisions about what we're going to continue, what we're going to stop. Um, even though they're difficult, you know, making those decisions to stop something, you need to be really smart in how you decide and how you announce that it's happening and, you know, um, involving people that are on your boards and leaders above you so that when the announcement is made, there, while it may be a surprise to people, you'll have support and cover fire when the decision comes down and people are upset about it. That's the other, I'm sure Todd, you did that yeah. in your process too, so. Well, let me ask you this, guys, slightly off, off script. Is it a bad thing if you discover that a program engages the same individuals each year? Hmm. <laughs> I'll take a shot at this, if that's okay, Chris. I, yeah, we're right. having this I'll conversation right now. Um, so so a couple of things. So we certainly have started that, that conversation around, um, you know, increasing engagement, right? I mean, making a bigger base, building a wider end of the funnel, whatever you want to call it. We certainly have talked about that. However, we've had some recent conversations around it's not only our job to increase that, but it's also our job to sustain that. And so you have to be able to build a little depth with that as well. And so there are some events that we are looking at to think, OK, well, this this may not be perfect on the increase because we got a lot of folks we normally would count here, but it definitely deepens the relationship. And um, I think that's a fair point, And it's one that you got to have, you know, both both sides. Uh, looked at. And um, so that's that's where we're kind of headed. It's not a perfect science, but I do think it it gives us a chance to to not be either or, but really both and if we think about both those areas. What he yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have you on as a co-host. <laughs> 
That was a great. That was a great response. It's always complete enough, and Chris just passed on it. He was like, "I'm not going <laughs> to even try that one." Ryan's that going good. back. I got to go longer, Chris. Could take fill up the half hour here. <laughs> we're right. We're we're perfect. Like literally, we're on the the question that says eleven fifty next to it. Like as if as if we could not possibly be more on script, right? Uh, is there a content or program area that's absolutely essential at Mizzou? And you know, how do you continue to evolve these beloved and tried and true program areas for the future? Yeah, so one that would be probably untouchable here at Mizzou because uh, it makes it unique for us. We are known as the birthplace of homecoming. And so for us, that is, you know, part of our DNA. And so it's our hallmark tradition. It's what we do. There's a lot of different events and activities. We really benefit from a sense of community that's built through our homecoming celebration. It's evolved over, you know, 100 plus years where we have high student um, engagement through what they do on campus, but also high alumni engagement. I always tell people it's because of that, uh, that shared sense of involvement, right? If you were coming and you were really involved as a student, and then you come back as alum because you want to support that, but also you know what that's all about. And so that's a big thing for us. But it, it definitely gives us, um, uh, you know, trouble at times. It's a it's a highly traditional event, and so I think it's important that we continue to evolve that. And so um, it's it's been a bear uh, to try to track and record engagement through big right. events like that. Right. That's the hardest part. We probably don't have that solved yet. We're better than we were two or three years ago, but it's just hard because, I mean, we're talking about, you know, 20 or 25,000 people coming back for different events and activities, and there's no registration. They're free events, and, you know, we'll have 35, 40,000 people at our parade, and I, I know we talked about parades a few weeks ago on one of your your, uh, your shows, and so for us, it's it's awesome, and it's a great community engagement event, and so, but for us, that to us is something we just got to keep getting better at, and the key for us uh, on any of these events, but certainly an event like that is, that after action review that we do every year on every single event that happens for homecoming, a traditional event is crucial because it keeps us fresh. Uh, our homecoming looks very different today than it did five years ago internally. It may not look that way externally, but it does in terms of how we track and maybe tweak some things and change things. But you know that after action review piece is critical for us on an event like that so we don't get stale or try not to get stale in that area. Let me point out two things that Todd said to the listeners now. Um, one, at Mizzou, if you don't have a homecoming tradition or you've been trying to build one and you're involving your alumni to come back to campus, the way to get it to stick long-term is what Mizzou did 100 years ago, which is make it a student event, and then it sustains itself as an alumni event. Um, Todd, would you agree? I'm assuming you'd agree with that statement. That's one of your reasons for your success. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, and the second point I wanted to emphasize that you made is the the uh, rigorous uh, and um, disciplined way that you do after action review of not just that event, but every major event that you do, the, the follow-up plan after an event is equally, if not more important than the lead-up planning that gets done. And many of our, what I find in many of our alumni shops is that you spend all this time planning, the event happens and you crash, you come back the next day and guess what you're doing? You're planning the next event you're not getting, or the next meeting or the board that's coming or the email's got to get out. And that becomes a tactical one after another kind of thing. And the work you do there, Todd, give us just a little insight on how that looks. Is it scheduled in advance? Who attends? How long are those meetings take? What do you accomplish? Yeah, it's very expected for each of our programmers to go through that process. We have a list of questions that they ask about, you know, what you, what was expected, what actually occurred, you know, what are some changes and feedback 
there's all kinds of feedback loops that come in. And so how you pull those in together. And so really what we do is, is those, those teams meet, uh, it's part of their kind of weekly, um, you know, one-on-one sessions, either with their direct report, or they may get together as a team if they'd like to, if it's a broad enough event where multiple folks were involved with it and, and they'll create a document, right. And that's really sort of our history that we have that we can go back. And it's what's so important to me is that we may not change anything right away, but as you start planning for next year, whether it's budget yeah. planning or event yep. planning or whatever else, you have something you can refer back to because these things are so detailed that you forget things and you're like, you know, and you don't want to do that, you know, very often. And so that that really is how it's built into our DNA. And I, we fell into that same trap. We've had those situations where we just haven't done it or been as disciplined in that space. And uh, but this has really helped us in the last especially three or four years with the after action review piece just to sort of move the ball forward. Yeah. Good stuff, Todd. Thank you. Great question there in, in the chat that just came up um, when it comes to thinking about the largest portion of the strategy for alumni engagement from yeah, Rachel. Uh, Rachel. Yeah. Are there other key areas to focus on, such as broad or targeted communications, right? So in other words, is the scaling of engagement through in, through events, you know, how do we, how should we be thinking about that? It's a more, uh, uh, intimate, substantial engagement act, uh, but it's not as scalable, right, as broad-based communication, content-related engagement strategies. How do you think about sort of this interesting uh, challenge that the industry faces kind of right now? From the event perspective? Yeah, I think it's just like, how do you think about our events, the largest, I guess Rachel's question is a direct one, are events the largest portion of your strategy for engaging alumni? Actually, they're not. Events are, I think, for us, second. Communications is the biggest for us in terms of how it works. Um, I, I think that for us, the event side of it, and where we're still sort of new with this is um, you have to be able to collect the data. And it's events even outside of what we do. So we've, we've done a pretty good job, maybe outside of homecoming, which is really kind of a bear, of being able to collect the data and bring it in and put it in there. But also then how do we reach out across our campus for experiential type opportunities? Because it's not just about alumni coming to our activities and events. We may be the conduit for a lot of it, but they do a lot of things on our campus through our school and college units and uh, through extension here on campus through athletics. So how do we sort of create that funnel to get that data into the database? Um, so, so from that perspective, where we're at is we've done a pretty good job on our side. There's some things we can clean up. Now we're kind of looking at the events that are outside of our bailiwick in terms of how we collect that. And, um, yeah. and also then educating our entire campus community about these metrics and how they work and how they can help us. That is one of our sort of year one goals uh, with our plan in terms of our partners around the campus. So that that is our strategy, if you will, as we've sort of closed the opportunity for what we do um, and make sure we're good at it, but then also then have partners that help us expand that even further. Yeah, so my experience with multiple institutions is that um, communications for a large public institution, communications generally one, mm -hmm. uh, events are two, uh, philanthropy and, and volunteerism are three or four. And on a private, especially smaller uh, private institution, you're going to see often philanthropy and communications be one or two. Right. Um, events and volunteer be three or four. So to, right. to Rachel's question, engagement is not the biggest for sure, uh, but it's a great point. Yeah. Great question. Thank you for your comments. Yeah, I think uh, a lot's a lot's changing in that way, and it will continue to change as we get better and better at tracking individual engagement activity through communications right. and that funnel that you described of getting that in those inputs into our CRM, right, so that we can we can look at it and and use it. 
is, is really important. Um, we have just a couple of minutes left, guys, in our hard to believe show always goes really fast, the half hour here. But, um, you know, Chris, there's a, a philosophical question around shelf life of engagement programs that I wanted to mention. You know, h- how do you think about sort of do, do programs all have an expiration date? Do Todd mentioned a program that they continue to evolve, but um, you know, at homecoming, and it's a special one. But would you say, as you think about programming elements, that you know, there's a certain shelf life, or is it just depend? I know that you're going to say it depends. The lame consultant answer is it depends. Yeah. Yeah. My definitive answer is yes, they all have a shelf life. Now, I'm not saying you stop it. I'm saying you do what Todd described as you evolve, yeah. and and it changes whether it looks the same or different to the alum, or it looks the same to the alum. Internally, we're doing it differently, and and it's having a different outcome. I think is what we're going to see. I want to I want to get to the last question we had for Todd, though, um, yeah. you had, you had, I want you to tee it up. Okay. So this was sort of a, an interesting fill in the blank question. You got to ask all our guests right. this question, by the way. I love we, we, don't, we don't typically do fill in the blank questions here on alumnus, but here's one for you. I can imagine a day when alumni pros are no longer doing X. That's a great question. And I haven't seen you ask anybody this. So I don't think that's fair, by the way. But, um, <laughs> I, I don't Chiefs that, fans, we asked this question. <laughs> you, uh, Chiefs won, so I get this question, right? Yeah. So before I say that, let me just say this on the first, the question you just answered, Chris. I think this is really great. And I thought a lot about that one too. So a key kind of canary in the coal mine question I ask our team all the time on this um, a shelf life thing is certainly where are we having to manufacture energy to run an event or activity? That's sort of the first, if we know there's something we got to manufacture internally, there's an issue there we need to look at it. So that's that's one we use quite a bit. All right. So the one thing I think that these are probably not the greatest answers, but the things I think about, I can imagine a day when alumni pros are no longer doing or doing much less. And I think we're seeing this already events. Uh, We're not events based necessarily anymore as much as we are experience based and how that looks and feels virtually and everything else. So I think events you know, that that's, we just do less today than we did before. And actually, our engagement, engagement scores are higher because we're better at kind of collecting that and being more metric-based. This is going to hurt because I, I work at the school with the number one school of journalism in the world. But I think sending a magazine at some point is going to go by the wayside. And uh, I hope some of our people aren't watching this because they're going to they're gonna hit me because we have a great alumni magazine. And there's a bunch of great ones out there. I think at some point here that's going to happen. And it's already starting to happen more and more. But especially for a lot of the big universities, um, we're hanging in there with it. And they're still a, a, a good piece, but you can see that it's deteriorating from a uh, as the culture moves and as the, um, you know, sort of the the number of folks in certain age groups move on. It's going to be something we've got to think more about. I think you're right. I don't think I think a good what test is, is would you ever start a, a magazine now? Yeah, I, I probably not. If I was starting today, you're probably right. Yeah. It's one of those ones. All right. Lots more to talk about with Todd in our bonus section. We had a great group of listening to us. Thanks for Carrie from joining us all the way from London. Might our record for maybe the furthest away for on this particular show. Uh, Kurt down in Texas, Dale, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will be back. Chris with who in two weeks? You know, this next guest better than I do. I've met Dory, Dory Sontag from Gonzaga. And if you ask me what I know about Gonzaga, I tell you about how great their basketball team is every March and April. Uh, but I've looked under the hood at 200 places and I peeked under this one and they have a pretty impressive alumni program too. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what she has to say about it. 
But anything else you want to add, Ryan? You know her better than I do. Dory's got a bit of a unique role, kind of a combined role, alumni, donor engagement, communications. And we're going to talk a little bit more about sort of that expansive role. And it's definitely a unique school with a basketball affiliation and sort of a a different program in the Pacific Northwest. But uh, okay, well, so thanks everyone for joining us on the live version here of Alumless. Uh, We will um, drop the podcast feed over the weekend or on Monday with Todd in our bonus section. Uh, But thank you for joining us and we'll be back again in two weeks. Okay, we are back. Thank you for listening to the podcast edition of Alumless. If you are listening to the podcast, you just love alumni and donor engagement content. And we can't blame you because we like it too. And we enjoy chatting about it. We've got a great guest today, Todd McCubbin from uh, the Mizzou Alumni Association. Thought we'd pick up the conversation where we left off. Um, Todd, I thought maybe for listeners that don't know a lot about Mizzou, I mean, you gave a nice, um, in a sense of the the oldest, most recognized homecoming in the country, uh, but maybe you could share just a little bit more about the university and the alumni association and what makes the school so unique. Yeah, I'd love to. So Mizzou is a quintessential Midwest university. We're comprehensive in that this is both a research one, but also a land-grant university. And so you think about some of those schools out there that have an Iowa, Iowa State or Kansas, Kansas State or something like that. We're we're really that one campus, you know, the, the both those things all in one. So that is mm-hmm. a, a really cool thing for us. We have a unique mix of school and colleges and disciplines here in our campus. Um, tremendous history, you know, first university west of the Mississippi, as part of the Louisiana Purchase, we have kind of a unique tie to the University of Virginia in that way. In fact, you know, just over on our quad, we have the original, uh, I guess, the um, the uh, stone from uh, the grave from Thomas Jefferson that was gifted to us back in the day, which is kind of a cool thing here on our campus. Um, uh, we do have the world's first and oldest and I think best school of journalism. That's something we're known for internationally. And we have a lot of great alums out there that went through that process and are doing some amazing things. And, and of course, the the beauty of our campus, uh, you know, we have a unique quad that is sort of patterned off of what the University of Virginia has, uh, except we have six, uh, you know, big columns in the middle of our campus that were part of uh, the first academic building that burned down here in 1892. And one of the things we like to talk about here is it relates to the Alumni Association and how we have kind of been involved ever, you know, really uh, since the beginning was when that was when that building burnt down. Of course, there was a kind of a rush to rebuild. Uh, and uh, the, the head of our board of curators had commissioned a, um, a mule team to come and pull down these columns. I don't know if that ever would have happened, honestly, but that's what they were going to try to do. And uh, some alums were helping with the cleanup that day, and they started kind of got an argument with the president of our board of curators saying, no, we're not going to tear down these columns. These are a symbol of our university. Let's build around them and continue our university. And they literally got in a fist fight out there kind of at the base of the columns in this rubble area. And cooler heads prevailed. And uh, later on, I think about a week later, they had a board of curators meeting where the president of our alumni association at the time gave an impassioned speech to keep the columns and build around them and move forward. And that's where the sort of historic phrase here at Mizzou comes with, let these columns stand, let them stay in a thousand years. And so uh, we're working on that thousand years right now. But, you know, the fact that Mizzou uh, had alumni that were able to save those columns, I think uh, says a lot about the impact our alums can have on this university on a daily basis and uh, something we're pretty proud of. 
I got chills when you told that that's story. A great story. That was really, yeah. really cool. It's, it's, it's like you're the cool alumni story. director there, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and the background of your shot is the painting of the six columns. I can that's see right, it. Right there, and then yeah. one over there, too. You got them both sides. Right over there. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. That's that's great stuff. And so you've been at Mizzou. You're an alum of the university. You've been at the school for, I think LinkedIn told me, uh, 28 years and had a number of promotions within the Alumni Association, job title changes. You have seen many things. You know where the bodies are buried uh, at the university. My question for you is, you know, what changes have occurred over the last few years that really gets you energized about where the school is headed? Yeah. So, you know, this, as I tell people all the time, especially students uh, that I get a chance to talk with, you know, you're going to probably find the greatest career you never knew existed. So you just got to be open to looking for it. That certainly was the case for me in this role. You don't study to be an alumni director, but it worked out great. Uh, the variety of work that we get to do is outstanding. And I think that where I really look at um, some of the things that energize me about the University of Missouri, but also the profession is just the ever nature, the, the evolving um opportunities we have. It's constantly changing. It's I can't tell you when I got into it 28 years ago um, that it was a profession. I think we were having that argument at that time. If I remember yeah, in CAE, right. yep. is this a profession? Is it not? And people are going back and forth. And um, I, I feel like it is. I think that you know how we've grown um, and what we do, how, how important we are and what we do for the universities that we serve um, has been a real gratifying opportunity. And certainly to see the advancement side from that growth perspective. So you, you look at the, um, the dependence that a lot of our universities have on advancement and the fundraising campaigns that are going on and the really, really crucial work we do um, to support those opportunities on the front end and really the spade work, if you will. People like to ask me all the time about the, the work we do on our campaign. And, and while we do some really great work currently on whatever campaign we're in, I always I'm always quick to remind them that a lot of the work that we did on this campaign happened 20, 25 years ago when we were engaging alums that are in a place where they can really make some significant major gifts and principal gifts to help our campaign now. Without that work, we wouldn't be successful in any campaign we have. And I think that's a, a great view. And again, that long-term sort of relationship piece is uh, what energizes me pretty much every day. We often see, forget to, uh, sorry, Chris, I think we often forget to say that, don't we? That the fundraising that's happening today well, a lot of it is a result of engagement from the past, right? And we almost we're always thinking about what's happening for engagement today for tomorrow, but sometimes we never stop to say the immediate results we're enjoying right now are from that. You know, Sorry, our guest Chris. a few weeks ago was Howard Wolf at Stanford. He made a kind of a passing comment on this topic, and he said his predecessor Bill Stone in the '80s and '90s and the work that Howard did when he started in 2000, 2001, today gets to the point where they're raising a billion dollars every year. Yeah. And he'll they'll point back to that moment where they decided they're going to go all in and double down or triple or quadruple down on their alumni investment in alumni. And it's paying off. Yeah. I First of all, thank you for letting me follow Howard. My goodness gracious. <laughs> that was that was a, a master class in alumni engagement and why it matters. And um, he's, he's just so good at it. He says it so well. I shared that pod with a lot of our board members and our staff just to make sure they understand. Cool. Uh, how that works, but he's he's exactly right. And and unfortunately, I think that you know we are suffering from a bit of short termism uh, in higher ed, particularly in advancement. And I don't think anybody's doing that on purpose. I just think the way that you know things get rolling and get going, campaigns um, and alumni engagement are both cer certainly critical for universities, and but they complement each other so well. And so 
you know, wh- whatever example you want to use, whether it's the investing example about how you have to have a short-term and a long-term plan, or you're talking with a guy from Missouri. So I'll just tell you from an agriculture perspective, I learned from my grandfather, I grew up on a hundred uh, century old farm here in Missouri, that if you plant the same crop every year in the same field over and over and over, over time, you're, you know, you're, your uh, uh, results are going to go down. You're just not going to yield the same as you always do. So you have to take care of that. You have to provide some sense of um, uh, fertilizer, right? I don't know if alumni engagement is fertilizer or not, but I think we certainly help with that process in terms of increasing that yield over time if we, if done right. Fertilizer. Some people will tell you Thank alumni you. engagement professionals are full of shit. So maybe we are fertilizing. <laughs> oh my God. Didn't see us going that way. That might have been a swear <laughs> on a Nice. That's, we're allowed to say that on our yeah, private. We can drop podcast. all the four letter words we want. That's, that's right. Um, so yeah, you mentioned well, a couple opportunities, you know, you mentioned a couple of challenges that we face, you know, the yeah. short termism is a great term to think about. You, you know, I've seen many VPs come into a first vice presidency and think, I got to raise X right this year and this campaign. And you see the alumni staff shrink while their frontline fundraisers grow and you go, what? you know, does not anybody have? So any, let's go both. I'm going to ask both my prepared questions on where are there other growth opportunities for us? Or are there any other challenges you see for our industry? So you say it best, I think, in terms of I think what you see is the shorter stints for university leaders, I think, can feed into the short term termism a little bit. And again, yeah. not judging anybody. I just think it's part of it. And yep. they're, they're, the, the stakes are going higher and higher with these campaigns and the need for it. So I get the pressures, um, but we've got to also look at how we invest in the long term and short term opportunities. I think that, you know, um, some of the opportunities that we have uh, certainly is sort of that education piece around what we do. I think the metrics, and and I've talked about that a lot already, I think those are huge in terms of building alignment and and letting people understand what we're trying to drive as an institution uh, on the alumni engagement side. You know, for years and years and years to be able to have different answers from different alumni engagement professionals on what your metrics really were um, wasn't helpful for us in this space. And now that we have a common set of metrics to drive towards, um, you know, I hope more adopt them. I think more and more are every year. And certainly the tracking of them can be problematic. But um, I think to me, that will give us more validity in that space from a metrics perspective that, that's going to be hard to argue when you start talking to university presidents or vice chancellors yep. or vice presidents. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with your statement on this. Uh, um, I think if you're in a, an alumni leader out there listening to this and you're struggling every year, you know, fighting for resources, try, uh, fighting to retain uh, salary lines in your FTE count. Uh, more budget, less budget every year. I mean, I'm seeing this across the board. And and unless we can professionalize and report on what we're doing and show the impact that we're having, it's going to be continued. Now, there are many enlightened boards and presidents who don't need that, and they're going to invest in alumni engagement, but there are more <laughs> uh, others that need that education and training. So I'm so with you. That, that said, although, let me, I love your reaction to this off script here, Todd. I think the CA uh, case metrics are the crawl in the evolutionary stage of crawl, walk, run, fly. Um, uh, you're nodding your head. Share some yes. what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think just because um, the alignment that it creates, not only with, you know, uh, I said vice presidents or presidents here on campus, but with our volunteers, uh, with our campus partners. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As I said earlier, we've had some great conversations around the career services area and trying to get a kind of a landscape view of what that looks like at Mizzou. And I was explaining to our campus partners and career services about our metrics and how they look and feel. And 
you know, the aha moment that went on with them when they said, you know, I, I know you we worked together for a while. I really didn't know what you did, though, and how it worked. <laughs> and so that I know that's, that's and I, I honestly didn't know some of the things they were looking at. So once you were able to kind of create that alignment and that baseline sort of knowledge, then what you can build on top of that yeah. is certainly the 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 walk and the run and, and everything that comes after that. And so that's exciting. Um, but it, it does take that sort of initial piece um, to get everybody on the same page. Yep. Yeah, I they're, agree. They're and I, eventually and when we get into correlational, causational and predictive modeling stuff, it's going to be really exciting when we get there. We're not there yet, but I've seen some schools heading that direction. It's really exciting. Our board starting to ask those questions, honestly, in terms yeah. of, you know, I've got a couple of board members. We've announced a, a, a major or principal gift level and they said, hey, tell me about this individual back when. Right. How did we engage mm. them through what and how we're journey you know, that's map a one that, off. Right. Yeah. That's right. But how does that <laughs> yeah. journey look and how can we continue to tie value to that? And we can do that in a one-off perspective, but when we're able to do that more on a if scale, that will be something that will uh, cool. only help us more. Love it. Yeah, it really means an investment, right? In 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 technology, in the advanced marketing solutions like Salesforce Marketing Cloud, but also the expertise in those systems to be able to draw out the predictive modeling and to be able to provide those models across campus to. Uh, from foundations to colleges and schools and units, right? From alumni associations to college and schools and units so that you know you can begin to um, show the reporting, the value that you're providing centrally all over campus. And but I think there's 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 definitely not a lot of of marketing analysts that are employed inside of foundations and alumni associations. And so you can get the technology, but you still got to move an FTE, a, a pretty well paid one over to that spot and at least one, right? Just to sort of get to the, we've moved from crawl to walk, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and and you and I talked about this when we were at Buffalo yesterday, Ryan, which is this. I don't think it's the CRM or even the investment in the technology or the FTEs. There's some issues there, but it often is the institutional will yeah. and the business process that need to be established to get to the point where this is important. And it's just a hard fight, but you need leaders like Todd to be able to, you know, who have that perspective and can bring that thinking to it. And so we're on our way. We just got to keep fighting the fight. I'm with you. Create like counting all the engagement is a hard task, right? Uh, and I would argue it's impossible, the, but <laughs> yeah, well, once you, once you figure out how to count the engagement, you know, Todd, that you're creating uh, right. as a result of your programs and initiatives, the next step is, uh, as you've described, to try to wrap up your arms around the alumni engagement that's happening all over campus. But then, so yeah, you already, still, go ahead, sorry. Well, yeah, it was just to sort of say, like, once you once you sort of begin to wrap, like, get to the crawl place, you realize, okay, so we we still have to wrap our arms around <laughs> all this other, uh, you know, engagement that's happening in order to actually be at the that starting block point. Uh, but you know, schools, it's a challenging endeavor. I was going to just add this: is that there are still alums who read that magazine, who wear the gear, who tell their friends that aren't measurably in any way on our radar, but they would consider themselves engaged, passionate, loyal alumni of blank, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that the one thing I would say to encourage other folks out there who are looking at this or thinking about this is that um, you can get overwhelmed if you think about it uh, in terms of what you may have uh, available to you from a technology standpoint and all that you have to do. But um, I was talking with a colleague just last week here in Missouri and I said, but just start. You know, just start uh, kind of moving through that. You're not going to be able to do it all, but start. And what we found, and again, we had sort of some COVID time to really spend a lot of time on Teams and Zoom and everything else talking through this with our group. 
was, you know, once we were able to start and get a baseline and then build on that baseline the next year, and then all of a sudden you got four or five years in a row, we were able to increase engagement uh, and then also make some decisions on how you're going to program to increase the engagement. At first, it was just about literally trying to find, you know, yep. where things were coming in from. Now it's about making specific, you know, strategic decisions about how you're going to increase them through what you're doing with those programs. And that's just, again, it's that, it's that crawl, walk, run. Uh, you're so walking, hard, but you you're, have you're to probably start. jogging. <laughs> I, I don't know that we're jogging yet, but we certainly understand it more. And, and what it's done for our board, what it's done for my conversation with our vice president and vice chancellor here, uh, who can look at that score every year. They like scoreboards. There's no doubt about it. And they're seeing that go up. Um, it's been huge. It's been huge for us. And so, but I would just encourage anybody, you got to start and yeah. don't get caught up in perfect. Like? Yeah. Sorry. What does starting look like, you know, Todd? And, yeah. So starting looks like it? essentially for us, I think, uh, you know, we we had a lot of events and activities, but we weren't necessarily bringing that data into our database. Right. And so we we just built some some uh, scaffolding around, if you will, just knowing who these folks, folks were and making sure that information went back to the database. Now, some people may be doing that all along. We were probably doing it OK, but not on everything. Um, we were having some opportunities where we looked at uh, volunteerism and making sure that not only our volunteers, but all university volunteer, alumni volunteers were getting entered in. Uh, we were educating our peers in our schools and colleges about how they could provide us data. And I'm talking about, you know, it could have been an alumni chapter or a peer who's like, well, I don't know how to do this, but I can write these names who came to this stuff on the back of a napkin and send them to you. Totally cool. Send them to us. <laughs> wow. We'll get it entered in, right? Yeah. I mean, whatever yeah. works. But just encouraging that. And so then you're able to kind of build the flywheel and, and and give it a little bit of a push. And we're not going full speed by any means now, but we certainly have a lot of things that are feeding in um, that help. And, you know, we have an overlay to our database with Evertrue, and that certainly has helped on the communication side for yeah, us to capture yeah. some of the social media engagement that some people don't have. But um, just, you know, just knowing what you want to count and really being disciplined about it is the key. What's your engagement rate right now from last end of last year? Do you know that number off the top of your head? Yeah, it's 31.4%, which that's, uh, that's for us amazing. It's amazing. For us is a big yeah. number for a big public institution, way ahead of our, a lot of our peer averages. And we've increased that every single year. And so that's yep. going to be a challenge as we get better at this and things start to even out. But we're excited about that. And uh, it's so much more fun looking at that than donor participation rate, which obviously you know, is a struggle about, a lot yeah, of, exactly. at a public university. Um, but um, we, we know we have a chance to grow that with that sort of a number. Uh, Todd gave a great starting point. I'm going to give you a zero. If that was step one, I'm going to give you step zero, which is this. I would go, if I'm the alumni profession, I would go to my colleague in the advancement services space and, and explain to them yeah. what this case meant, if they don't already know, and say, can you just run a report from last year on what's in the database. They're going to say, well, I don't have this. I don't have this. Just run the report and see where you are. That's your stake in the ground. And then do what Todd was talking about. I think that's that's the place to start this conversation because it's in there. Some stuff's in there. You might as well leverage that now. It's a baseline. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Switching gears just a little bit, Todd, you know, we continue to have conversations about the talent shortage in our space. You know, I think I heard grumblings from the CAAE meeting on, on the West Coast last week uh, that, you know, again, the, the topic continues to be the the, the lack of interest in roles, the, the challenge of, of retaining talent. Um, what, what do you think is going on? Uh, it, what would you say to a young person that's get to why they should get into the field of of alumni engagement and what skill sets are you looking for when you're cultivating young talent? 
Yeah, no, this is something I think everyone's dealing with for the most part. We've been fortunate here that we've been pretty stable uh, with leadership. Um, it, it, it does help that I can step into a conversation with a, a person who's just coming out of school and say, hey, by the way, I started, you know, got out of graduate school, started here, and, and now my title is X. And so I kind of work my way up through the organization. So they see that's important with us. Um, I'm a big fan of um, uh, Patrick Lencioni and a lot of his writings and what he does in this world. His ideal team player book, I think, is a is a playbook for this. And that really talks about hiring people that are humble, hungry, and people smart. And, and in fact, when I go through interview processes and we have all kinds of questions, that's great. Off to the side, I will score them in those three categories based on the questions I will ask them. I think those are perfect really for any organization but certainly for alumni engagement. And so, um, you know, the humility to know that we are not the stars here uh, for what we do, our volunteers and the university is the star of what we do. Having people that don't need to come in and be handed just uh, you know, a, a way to work, uh, we're gonna bring you in and you're gonna get a lot of rope early. And that's, that's not something you get in a lot of places if you go to a big corporation, by the way, but at a smaller alumni shop, you can get a lot of rope to run some really cool things and, and build a resume. And then the final piece is we're in the people business. We're in the relationship business. So folks that can build strong relationships with volunteers, whether that be a student or young alum uh, or a board member, whatever that may be, and really sort of read them and try to make sure we understand how to, how to work with them. Um, if you can find those people with those skills, oh my gosh, they're going to do great in this space. Frankly, they'll do great in any space. Yeah. And one advantage we do have that I think really helps us is the opportunity for folks to come in and, 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 and um, continue their education. So we get a lot of young folks who start mm -hmm. and they try to, you know, after maybe a semester, they immediately get into some sort of a graduate uh, work, which is awesome. But we've also had some luck in retaining those individuals as well. So um, that's how we sort of think about it here. And like I said, we've been fortunate really because we prioritize organizational health. That's a strategic advantage for, I think, uh, our alumni shop here at Mizzou, both within the Mizzou culture, but I think also broadly as well. Humble, what do you mean hungry, by, people smart. And mm -hmm. what do you mean by organizational health, just to sort of uh, to add on top of that? Culture, right? So I think that how we treat individuals, how we communicate with our team members, the opportunities we provide them, um, I think all of that matters. Um, and we have to be very intentional about that. I have to be very intentional about that for sure. Um, for all of our team members. And so we take it very seriously and, and probably, you know, again, we're, we're competing with a lot of companies to do some really cool things. Um, they're having lunches every day. They're doing all kinds of, you know, crazy uh, things with their employees all the time, which is awesome. That's not something we're going to do in a higher education environment per se, but we have to have a culture that really is empathetic to um, great employees and also giving them a chance to succeed, not only here at work, but also uh, uh, personally as well. Good stuff, That's fantastic. You, we always ask the last question before we let our guests go about where you find inspiration. And you actually just mentioned a couple of great books that you find inspirational and helpful. Um, these can be other teams out in higher ed, other leaders in the advancement space, but it could also be inspiration uh, not related to, to our field. But um, what, what gets you going? So this is a question is speaking of organizational health, we ask all of our new team members when they join us in our first team meeting they come to, we have everybody kind of go around and talk about, you know, who they are, introduce themselves and, and why they uh, love working, you know, with our, with our organization. And it, the why is really important, I think. And so when you hear, you know, 27 people tell you their why for why they show up every day, I think that's inspiring to a certain extent. And so my answer is always the same. It's 
It's the mission. I came for the mission. I stayed for the people. I'm a first, uh, the son of a first generation college student. Uh, we had a great family tree, unbelievable family tree, still do. But my dad, when he was able to come to the University of Missouri and get his degree, I saw what it did for our family tree overall and the great career he had. In fact, my brother and I were expected we went to college and obviously our kids are doing the same thing. And so that that's a strategic advantage that the United States has over a lot of countries is higher education and the difference it can make for lives. So to be a part of that, to support that is certainly a big inspiration for me. Um, I will also say that I get tremendous energy from my colleagues around the country, whether it's the CAAE and everything they do. I, I, I hate that I missed the meeting last week. I wasn't able to make it. Got a high school son that's playing some basketball right now, and I had to stay back and watch him play a big game. But uh, I get some great feedback from them and, and what we're able to do and how we're growing in the space and alumni engagement overall. So it's been a big part of my life. And the final book recommendation I would say that uh, is is I read a lot. I think uh, not every uh, not every um, uh, reader I guess is a leader, but every leader is a reader. If I go by that, and I think maybe Harry S. Truman said that. Um, but I, Ryan Holiday is one of my favorites, and uh, his book called "Ego Is the Enemy." Anybody should read that book. It is absolutely perfect. It gets to that humility quotient. But Ryan Holiday, anything he writes is fantastic. But "Ego Is the Enemy" is the one I would hand out to people if I. Uh, had a big copy or a big book, a stack of them here behind me because it's a great book. So there's a couple of things for you. That's fantastic. Th- thank you for those recommendations. Uh, well, Chris, I think that we have done another episode of Alumnus, a really good one with our friend Todd here. Uh, thank Number you so 19, much. 19th episode. <laughs> yeah, we're quickly approaching one year in uh, just a couple of months time. So it's been a good first year. We've got gotten a lot of compliments on the show and, and we're glad uh, that folks are listening and it seems to be making an impact. But thanks for those who are listening to the podcast edition. We'll be back in two weeks with uh, Dory Sontag at Gonzaga and uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.